This episode of Two Scoops is brought to you by The Body. Get into it. Cam. Mr. B. Is it recording? You know it. Let's give the people something new. It's time to serve it up. What's the scoop? Let's go. Serving it up, UK to the States. No tea, no shade, it's all grace. Nothing we can't discuss in this place. Black culture set the stage, please. Two scoops, baby. Yeah, two, two, two scoops. Serving it up, the culture. Welcome back to that, to tat, tat. Welcome back to Two Scoops, a cultural podcast where we discuss and explore the many levels of the black and queer LGBTQ experience. And if you're just joining us, we want to let you know that we got a lot of sweet, a lot of spice and periodically things not so nice. What's up? I'm Cam. And I'm Mr. B. What's the tea, Mr. B? I'm still buzzing from last week. Well, what's some of your favorite things about our first recording? Just the vibe, connecting with, without getting too soppy, you know, just connecting with you and sharing our stories and, you know, starting this venture. I, I'm really enjoying it. I'm enjoying the process. It's really exciting. Um, I mean, we talk regularly, but I feel like this was a different level. We get to invite other people into our world, into our relationships as friends and just how we vibe and stuff. I love it. Totally. You know, I'm going to put, I'm actually, I'm going to put this out there. I'm not going to hesitate. You know, there are people across the continent who I hope this will reach, you know, people who don't have access um, to the things we have, who don't have the privileges that we have and who aren't able to express themselves in the way that we are able to. I hope we're able to do this justice, Mm. you know? You know, our tagline, which is also a part of our ethos, really, is serving it up for the culture. And then to break that down for the culture, for the community. And it's all about involving the community in this conversation. You know, it's not just about our opinions, but it's also about our experiences and showcasing other people's experiences as well. Mm -hmm. And just showing the diversity of it all. And that's what makes me so excited for whatever's in store for the future with us and this podcast. Because, yes, there's so many podcasts that are about LGBTQ issues and about Black issues and about the intersection of those. But there still cannot be enough because, you know, being a part of both marginalized cultures, we don't get our story heard enough. No, no, we don't. And, you you know, there are a lot of queer platforms that have a voice that have had a voice for many years there can never be enough i'm going to echo that cam going off on a tangent slightly but when people talk about pictures of black men in flowers oh it's, it's been done so many times there can never be enough there, there are so many perspectives so many stories that haven't been told so many stories to discover and we are just a small fraction of that absolutely that image of um, black boys in flowers, it's just such a beautiful cultural moment, notion, Cannot idea, Cannot illustration. Enough. Cannot get enough. And just how we express ourselves as black men and as black queer men is so layered. And it's, it's something that I think is really important that we get into. This episode will be about the relationships that we as black and brown, gay men, queer men, whatever you identify as the relationships that we have with our bodies and how we are perceived in the world 
along with the pressures and the expectations, etc., from society and through the media. Let's get into it. Grab a bowl, grab a spoon, grab a cone. Or you might want to use your hands for this one. Just to remind y'all, in Scoop of the Week, we bring you things that stand out to us as noteworthy and things that we just want you to get into. I'm going to kick it off. If you know me, you know I'm all about my skincare, not just the face, but also the body, as you heard at the top of this episode, honey. (laughs) I want to highlight this one product. It's a simple product, right? And I'm not getting any money for this. This is all out of support for Black-owned businesses and for my peers, colleagues, friends, and loved ones. So I use this glove, right? It's a traditional Moroccan exfoliating Kessa glove. It's Black and it's coarse, right? Okay, so this is to be used in the shower when you wash. Let me tell you something. The power of exfoliation, it is necessary. Again, not just the face, y'all, the body. It gets the rough areas, and look, okay, especially as black people, we can tend to have some rough areas, heels, knees, elbows, all them problem spots where the white shows up. Oof, <laughs> it gets those way. right on together. Um, I do it often, but I don't do it every day. It's important to give your skin some time to just recoup from, especially deep exfoliation. So yes, this is the traditional Moroccan exfoliating Kessa glove, and I got it from Daya Beauty London. Now, Daya Beauty London is a Black-owned beauty business here in London. The CEO of it is my friend Sean Daya. She's a lovely, lovely human being. She started her own shop. I need y'all to follow her on Instagram at dblondon. You can also check out her website at www.dayabeautylondon.com. I'm going to spell that for you. D-E-I-A Beauty London. And that's a dot com. Go get you a scrub. Go get you some body butter that she makes as well. Get that skin nice and silky. And check out other products too. And lastly, just support black business, especially the small businesses these days. Love that. Well, that's I need to get me some of that body butter. It's everything. It's shea, shea butter based, I think. Oh, my God. It's just something so ritualistic about moisturizing their skin. Mm. (laughs) I'm just looking at your face right now. You just look like you've just had something good to eat, girl. I had a moment. Like, (laughs) I don't (laughs) understand. You understand? Like, moisturizing (laughs) a ritual. Yeah, for for real. And and a non-negotiable. Period. The anxiety I get when I see... Any little piece of ash. Oof, I, it, must, it must be from childhood. The way I used to get greased the hell up and chastised if I had an ashy elbow. <laughs> but for me, um, my scoop of the week, I've definitely been trying to look for the best products for my beard uh, and maintaining the frustrating frizz. So I'm, I'm, I'm embracing the length. You know, I don't have the hairline for to grow any hair on my head. <laughs> um, That's all right, bald and beautiful, honey. Right, right. But yeah, so I've been going through. I've been going. I've been trying out some brands. I've been trying out some black-owned beard brands as well. So, Scotch Porter for me definitely is the original OG when it comes to black-owned beard care. So I'm gonna have to say that is definitely my scoop of the week for sure. That shipping, girl. Oh, where's the ship? ship so from? It's, it, it comes from the states, and you're like, I can't be paying like half of the price. I'm, I'm paying for the 
anyway so that's a bit of a grab for me <laughs> so uh, <laughs> but that's taking nothing away from scotch porter the conditioner the beard wash the oil and the balm for someone with really caught co- with a really coarse beard my beard feels nourished and one thing i'm learning as you know as i'm gaining more length is the longer your beard grows the less the oils from the hair get to the follicles so that's why you know farming and oiling so essential beard gang members which is a uk black owned business oh they've got a sweet mary jane beard oil it's a coconut gold hemp oil and it is gorgeous after i use it my beard feels nourished soft easier to maintain brush i'm here for it here for it here for here for it that's definitely my scoop of the week i don't have a long luscious thick oh where's this going girl oh okay beard sorry my bad beard Beard. okay my bad like you um so i'm really jealous because that the way you describe that just sounds delicious i just you know I, i just think it's so annoying so i was i love my afro hair always have done but i have been looking for ways to maintain it and for it to be more manageable and neater so i've even looked at heated beard brushes and every single piece of advertisement is a white man trying to brush their beard with this heated comb you know there are limited products for black men with beards Mm. completely limited so that's been crazy frustrating for me and you know for us curly kinky hair we need to look after the skin underneath as well so yeah beard gang definitely showed showed the hell out and i've been like you know incorporating that with some conditioners and balms and all that shit so i feel like between you and me we learned how to take care of ourselves because of how we were raised and you talked about you your face getting you know smeared with whatever cream what kind of cream was it or was it vaseline oh my god Uh, it was (laughs) it was a cocoa butter but yeah, we didn't have a lot of money. So it was like a really cheap cocoa butter that came in a long tube. I forgot the name. It had like a like a uh, a brown cap. And I remember we yeah, we used to we used to use that to the last to the last bit, girl. To the last drop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember my mother using Palmer's cocoa butter back when it yep. really smelled like chocolate or whatever. Yeah. The stuff that you thought you could eat. And she's just, you know, it was a part of part of growing up, part of the culture of just Taking care of your skin, especially as as a black person, and making sure that you are presentable in the world, and that no one can tell you nothing. Exactly. You don't want to get you don't want to get caught slipping out here. I think you know, as as black folk, there's so much pressure on us to present in a certain way and to be our optimum at all times. You know. Absolutely. What was different for me, contrary to what. My mother, my father, my immediate family taught how to care for myself as a human being overall. It was a bit different when it came to a sort of intimate care, how you keep yourself as a gay man. up as a gay man, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. Especially as that. And I feel like, I don't know, you just, you just kind of learn things through the grapevine, through what your friends experienced. Or humiliation, girl. Or humiliation. Mm-hmm. And it just really was this baptism of fire that I couldn't seem to marry with what I already knew from being taught by my parents and my family. Um, this is a very funny story that I have to tell you. It's a bit, <laughs> it's a bit, 
invasive, but whatever. We're here. Let's go there. Let's go there. Um, so learning to care for myself sexually, right? Let's just talk about the outside for a second. And being a man, you have hair. So with one of my first boyfriends, you know, you, when you're discovering what you like to do sexually and all that, you know, we got hair down there. And especially I'm talking about it between the cheeks. To, okay, yeah. Let's say front or back. Back, honey. And so I didn't think anything of it because, again, I wasn't, I wasn't really up on to shaving and what needed to be smooth. Oh, sorry. I shouldn't say yeah. need. What was expected to be smooth. Right. And, and, and what's your preference out of interest, smooth or, or, or hair? I have days where I'm like, let it grow, let the garden grow. And then there's days let where I'm like, grow. these shrubs need to be taken back. <laughs> so, Bit of temporary. Yeah, it's, it's really on and off for me. It's just about my feeling. But back then, it's like, I, it just wasn't on my radar. So my boyfriend at the time literally was like, I'm going to introduce you to Nair. And obviously you see those things on TV. Nair, yeah, what does it call it? Depilatory cream. Hair removal cream. And I was like, oh, okay. And he did it for me. Cute. Did it for me. And it was one of those intimate moments of like, wow. First of all, that's a lot of hair. Second of all, it was a, a real intimate moment between us two yeah, as boyfriends, yeah, yeah. where it's like, you know, he liked something. He didn't shame me. I'm a preface this with this. He did not shame me for having hair between my buttocks at all. But he was like, I want, I want you to see how this is. And if you like it, you can do it for yourself. Um, and that was one of my first moments of kind of this sexual, intimate self-care and then once I started, I couldn't stop. <laughs> so it's so great that you had a partner that was respectful and, you know, gave you the choice as well and didn't say, oh, I prefer this, you know, this here, take this. Mm-hmm. And he said, see if you like it, see what it's like. Um, <laughs> I remember the days of starving, you know, starving yourself if you knew you were going to be taking wood. Oh. All I'm going to have today is ice cubes because... I don't want to be painting on anyone's piece today. For those of you who do not know the term painting, I'm not going to spell it out completely for you. So use a little bit of your imagination. Shitting on a dick. Okay, well, there's the imagination gone. (laughs) (laughs) That is painting. And this is not shaming. It happens. It happens. It is the nature of anal sex. You know, there's no shaming here. But for me, <laughs> oh God, I want to see, I don't want to see, <laughs> I, this is a slippery slope now. Very this slippery. is a slippery slope, pun intended. For me, I, you know, depending on who's doing what, I, I like preparation in the bedroom. I think, I think for me, it is an essential. You know, sometimes you want to be spontaneous and, and do the thing, but yeah, I, I think preparation can go a long way. Um, when it comes to being intimate with, with, with whoever you're sharing that space with. Even yourself, you know? I want to know how in the past you got ready for those moments. What was the process? Like, was it a whole ritual or was it kind of like bish, bash, bosh, all right, I'm done? Getting ready for a dick appointment. So this is something that I've, you know, reincorporated into lockdown as well. But back in the day, you know, during my single and ready to mingle days, getting getting ready for a dick appointment was an ordeal of having a playlist, (laughs) 
<laughs> there was a dick appointment playlist. The whole skincare routine. Um, and, it, and it would all depend on whether I'm, whether my feet are going to be on my shoulder or if I'm going to be doing the dicking. <laughs> so, no, for real. So if I'm doing the dicking, there might be a bit of trimming here and there, making sure I smell good, long I showered, skin's looking great, all of that shit. If I'm, you know, if it's going to be foot pan shola, then it's a longer process. I think, you know, that's for me, that's where the ritualism comes in. You know, you're letting someone into your space. You're letting someone penetrate you. Yeah, I, I think I never take that lightly. It's interesting how there's a whole culture behind it that still isn't really 100% with gusto and might spoken about. Even within the community, what we do speak about is the shaming of yeah. when one does not prepare. Mm-hmm. Um, Even the bottom moments. shaming too, without you know going off on too much of a tangent. But... It's not really a tangent though. Like yeah. the bottom, it has so much to do with it. It ties into whatever you feel like your preparation should or should not be leading up to sex. And there's this expectation, a really big expectation, especially amongst people who will receive penetration through anal sex. And it, it can cause a lot of anxiety. I mean, I, for one, have experienced that, um, where it's just, it becomes too much and you start to get nervous even during the act of, of sex. Like, I've had moments where I've gotten really nervous during sex because i didn't know if i had prepared enough i'm gonna preface that to say i don't believe in starving myself before sex so oh no same same eat what you want eat that chipotle yeah definitely the chipotle (laughs) but you know i guess you know would deal with any physical consequences afterwards but like oh it's just it's a lot of pressure to be honest and you know it's it's worth noting for me anyway there was no edge I didn't have a gay uncle or auntie teaching me what douching was or that douching was a thing. I think from about 16 to 19, I had no idea about the process. For me, what I knew was, okay, there's certain foods I can and can't eat if I want to take the D and that's how you do it. And, you know, sometimes accidents happen. Um, But yeah, I agree with you that, you know, there still can be that anxiety you know, I see it online all the time, people are bottom shaming. I feel it doesn't send the right message to the young kids who aren't educated, you know, on the process. Or for those that don't want to douche for whatever reason, you know? Absolutely. I think it could lead to some really unhealthy practices of preparation for sex. And again, you're like, you do whatever you want. I'm not, I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to prescribe people anything. But like, please eat as if remember you're a human being who still needs to function um and it's maybe in that you start to get in tune with your body and its bodily functions which i strive for anyway sex or no sex just getting to know my body's regularity um but yeah like i just don't want people to adopt unhealthy pre-sex practices because it just it can lead you down a really bad road. Right? Shit happens. Period. I learned to... <laughs> I learned to douche from my best friend. Um, so around the same that time movie. that my, my now ex-boyfriend, my boyfriend at that time, taught me about hair removal, um, I learned about 
internal cleansing from my best friend, my lovely best friend, Sam. And that was a real moment of, okay, girl, this is what you got to do. It ain't <laughs> Shout out to Sam. Shout out to Sam. It ain't cute. But it's, it's an integral part of the process if you choose to do so. And I chose to do so. Mm-hmm. And... Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's not easy, but because again, the body does what it wants to do, right? Um, and of course, sometimes you could be waiting thirty minutes for that water to clear. The water being clear, my goodness! If you know, you know. If you know, you know. Um, <laughs> another cultural moment that maybe is probably talked about a little bit more now, um, and you know, w- with with the time comes a lot of improvements and inventions in how one cleanses themselves internally um so many toys tricks and now pills um to do so which is like wow okay very interesting but i love it it there's some progress in that and there's the shame of that of that part of the process is going away i just wish that the shame of when things go wrong wasn't so strong i feel i feel a lot of that rhetoric comes from insecurity and immaturity as well like i've like i've said you know at least twice already it happens right just be it come respect respect It, it it comes from respect period i mean whoever you're sharing that sexual space with just show some respect right and understanding you know it's not just a hole to fuck this is a human being with a gut and regular bodily functions like yourself. So just be respectful. You know, it all comes down to all of these things, bottom shaming, you know, the humiliation accidents that happen during during anal sex. It does have an impact on us and it can have an impact on us as queer folk, as men that have that type of sex, people that, as anyone that, that chooses to have that type of sex. Right, and I think that it really ties into what happens on the outside now and how we express ourselves in the world and how we're thus perceived um, in the world. And that leads to things about body image issues, which really need to be talked about, especially amongst men, because it's there. And I think in time now, it's becoming more noticeable that men go through body image issues, especially through social media. Mr. B and I consulted with a few black and brown gay men around our age group, so from the age of 24 to 41 from across the UK and the US. And we just wanted to extend the conversation to them, especially in the topic of body shaming and body image and self-love. I want to share with you all a couple of quotes that I feel like are so poignant and will really help facilitate this conversation. So the first one is from Taj Sharif. He's 34 years old. He's a gay black cis male who is from New Jersey and Cali. This is his feeling. Quote, The images of desirable men operate as being super fit, as a masculine presenting man, or slim, lithe, and limber as a more feminine presenting person. Both standards are associated with a problematic and faulty idea around health and desirability that I intellectually know is marketed to me through systems of white supremacy and European beauty standards. 
and the trauma response of a generation dealing with the AIDS epidemic and their desire to appear healthy amidst a completely unfathomable tragedy. End quote. That's from Taj Sharif. Speak on it. Wow. There's so much to unpack in that. The beauty standard through the white lens. That stuck out to me. Mm, same. And I think, I, think, I think most of us know that the standard of beauty is obviously a white or European beauty standard. A lot of our world is dictated by that. And especially in the queer community. Well, I I mean, you know, when you said the standard of beauty, and of course I understood what what I understand what you mean, but, you know, they they can keep that. I do not adhere to that standard of beauty. Definitely not. I feel, you know, as queer folk, we create our own, we have our own standard of beauty as queer POC, 100%. Absolutely. So so, so, so they, they can keep that. You know, the, the impact of going through gay magazines as a young gay boy and just seeing a sea of white faces and not fitting into that. Yeah, you can keep your standard of beauty, girl. Hmm. I don't want any of that. I, I think when I was younger, was kind of on and off about it in terms of not European standard of beauty overall, but when it came to being gay, absolutely. Um, especially as someone who presents more feminine in terms of verbal expression and, and body language. When Taj mentioned kind of like the, this, this desire to appear healthy amidst a completely unfathomable tragedy, referring to the AIDS epidemic, yeah. you know, this whole idea. That, <laughs> I remember a couple of people saying to me, you know, we'll just be safe you know, when they learned that I was gay. Just make sure you're safe and all that. And so there's this kind of unspoken thing of, you're going to be unhealthy because you're going to have HIV or because you're going to have STIs, STDs, or whatever other people think our community is. Or that you're not on a safe path. Exactly. It's not a safe place to be. Oh, you you know, you're making the... There is a safer alternative. What does that mean, just be safe? Don't know. This whole desire to, you know, quote, appear healthy, absolutely. And a lot of people equate that with how the body looks. Mm Mm-hmm. And as men, we feed right into that, that look, I want to I wanna bring up another quote by Rowan Omar Khan, who talks about this. So Rowan Omar Khan is 36. He's a gay black cis male from New Jersey as well. And he says, quote, patriarchy demands that a man look like a superhero. Racism demands that a black man looks like a sex god. And there are layers, nuances to it all as well. If you're a bottom, you ought to be slim and trim. Top should be more muscular, and everyone should just be thick enough in the right places. End quote. I struggled a lot with that. I really did. I mean, I I grew up I grew up slim, pretty much, like consist consistently slim, um, genetically slim. <laughs> you know, my brother's the same. Mm-hmm. And as I matured into my adulthood, and as the times changed, and people were really going to the gym and bulking up one i didn't have the desire to do that and two i just felt like when i tried it just wasn't happening and i got really self-conscious but then i was like okay well whatever i'm a bottom i i'm more feminine so let me go the other route of trying to be you know some slim twink thing and i realized that i couldn't reach that part either like out of my group of best friends i was the tallest so they were like short and petite 
Um, they were also slimmer than I was. And I just had a little bit more bulk to me, depending on the year or the time. Sometimes I might have a belly, sometimes I might not. And so I felt like stuck between a rock and a hard place of I'm not muscular enough or I'm not slim and twinky enough. Yeah, constantly trying to fit into this box yeah. that's been even made for us. But, you know, just constantly trying to fit in somewhere to be desirable rather than actually loving every curve and facet of us. I started working out <clears throat> truly for my mental health. I met depression in 2012 and the gym saved my life. Definitely. There were days where I didn't want to open the curtains, days where I couldn't get into work. And the gym got me out of that. And my body changed as a result. And I still do. I struggled with the new attention I was receiving on the gay scene, honestly. It almost felt as though pre-gym, pre-bicep, because I was a skinny boy, beautiful skinny boy. I can look back now and, you know, but I didn't feel it then. No, that's a lie, actually. That's a complete lie. I was just, I was just who I was. But I started working out and I enjoyed the results. I enjoyed the personal results and I enjoyed the effect it had on my mental health. With that came a newfound reaction and I struggled with that because previously I was invisible on the gay scene. Trust me. And now people want to talk to me. Why do you think that is? Is because of the muscles? Because I fitted into this, this, um, this ridiculous standard of beauty that makes people think you're fit. You know, you, you have abs, so, you know, you, you must be good in bed. Or I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know. I can't really delve into that psychology. I find beauty in many things. A six pack isn't really one of them. So I just want to share a quote from someone who's written into us. He goes by the name of Jason, pronouns he, him. He's 34, Black Caribbean, Bermudian. And he's, he's written, quote, Well, one can imagine a body without a self, but one cannot imagine a self without a body. The type of relationship I have with my own body and its image is real unconditional love. I love myself more today and just I try to be better than yesterday. Life is a journey and living it is a purpose. As I get older, my body tells my story and I'm loving this chapter I'm living. Yes, I've experienced the pressure from society and media to look a certain way as a gay black man. Growing up, being a gay black male from Bermuda, it was not easily accepted. Now living in London is given the chance to embrace who I am as a gay black man. Me making the choice to move to London in 2009, I wanted to be free. Find me and be gay, happy. So no, I do not align with it and subscribe to it. I love to hear those journeys. Right. Of that moment where you go, I'm not in for mm -hmm. this. I'm not. Right not doing it i experienced that when i turned 30 it was like a light switch not just with how i look in public and how i'm perceived but also my my ethos as a human being things just went whoop into alignment yeah, yeah there are moments especially when it comes to social media where i slip back into the depths of oh gosh you're just regular you're just a regular old cute but not sexy man they ain't shit regular about you honey well thank you thank you i, I know you know that, but you know. <laughs> but it's, it's hard it's hard you know especially because on 
on places like Instagram, sex sells. I mean, it's literally the algorithms <laughs> saying to us that the the close to nude pictures will get more likes and more attention than the not. Um, and that's hard because like I don't, I'm I'm all for it for the body positivity, but I myself don't express myself on Instagram like that. And so when you're comparing likes and and followers to your peers and and friends and it's not the same and you realize one of the common denominators is the amount of skin that's shown or the the quality of your body based off of society standards it's hard it really is especially as someone who who's always sought attention that i feel like i never received as a child into my adolescence into my teenage years but into my adulthood it's it's managed to creep its way back in sometimes but overall, I love I love this body now. And listen, the the weight gain that a lot of people have expressed that they've gained in lockdown in the past year, all oh, that weight gain is real, honey. That weight gain is so real. And I was beginning to be like, oh no 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 no. no. But then exactly that, what you just said, thick and juicy. And okay, there are probably gonna be some people who have seen my profile and may roll their eyes and go. Girl, you slim. Yes. Um, I am. But also, I the clothes I wear mask a lot. They do. People may look at you and, 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 and say that, you know, and roll their eyes and say, oh, girl, she's slim. But that doesn't take away from how you feel about your body and, and the changes that your body may be going through and your reaction to that. I'm just going to share a, another quote. This is from Don, pronounce he, him. And he is Black British Caribbean and he's from London. I would say my relationship with my body and its image has been unstable for the longest time. Some days I feel really impressed and proud of what I've achieved via workouts and or running. But the majority of the time I see all the areas I'm lacking in. For example, my arms have always been a subject of contention in my head. Growing up, I had a fast metabolism and was always seen as skinny. I finally managed to put on a bit of weight at the age of 24, but almost six years later, I still don't feel like my arms are big enough. I'd say that I'm more content than I have been with my body's current state. But again, there are things I would love to improve. I would say that I have most definitely experienced pressure from society to look a certain way. I've been told in the past that I would be a 10 out of 10 if I was just a bit more muscly. Or I should just focus on my calorie deficit and I would be there. As a gay black man, I think the pressure comes again from the media and society. Things like porn have a massive part to play in it as well. And regardless of whether you consume that type of media, I think there are heavy undertones with what's expected from a gay black man. The stereotype of big, muscly, overly masculine and strong black men are perpetuated in society and then expected as a generic prerequisite for every black man. I feel that in times past, I have tried to align with it almost subconsciously because of the expectation. But I'm learning to become genuinely content with how I am naturally in my physique and my persona. Some things I feel I came down too hard on myself for, such as being too effeminate. But now I'm leaning more towards being comfortable in my own skin. Oh, thank you, Don. Thanks for sending that in. There's so much there that I relate to. So much there that I relate to. What stood out to me was the mentioning of porn and those expectations, mm-hmm. those sexual expectations. Mm-hmm. And we know as black people in general, we are the sexualized ones. Mm. 
the, the fetishism is real. Also real. And when it comes to manhood, can't skirt around it. It's all about the dick size. The expectation that because you're black, you, you of course you've got a big dick. You know, all you are is a tool to fuck. Big tool to fuck. It goes all the way back to slavery. Mm. You know, our bodies just being used to gratify others being reduced to the mandingo all of this does have all of this can and does have an impact on us and and, you know and and it's down to us really to share these stories and discuss and create our own narrative share our own truth you know don shared you know know, there's so much opinion there of what other people have said to him oh you know you'd be there if you did this or maybe you need to work on this and we get fed that from the media too yeah Porn, another massive one. Being too feminine, not being masculine enough. Oh, well, hell, so even to that. even in some cases, not being feminine enough. Like there's some of these expectations of if you're already more on the feminine side of the of, of the spectrum, then people want full on performance. They they want their yachts and they want all it all. And if mm. you don't meet up to those, because I've had this, <laughs> I've had this 100. Where someone's like. Oh, um, Vogue for me. And I'm like, for, well, first of all, like, I love, I love the art form so much so that I won't disrespect <laughs> it by, by mocking it or doing it. Vogue for me, excuse Vogue me. Vogue for me, as if I'm an act. Some performing monkey. Exactly. No, how um, about you go fuck yourself? And I'm like, there's so many expectations as someone who's on that side of the spectrum to <laughs> live up to some, to live up to a very specific expression of femininity, which does not happen throughout the whole community. It's just one aspect of, of self-expression. It's, we're not a monolith. So when you don't live up to being the stereotypical feminine gay person, people look at you with like confusion sometimes. Like, oh, I thought you'd be into that. Well, guess what? I'm not. Or guess what? I just don't want to do it for you. You know, it's just, oh, it's so deep. It is so deep when it comes to these expectations that people have from outside of our community and from within the community amen but you know what at this lovely ripe old age of 30 <laughs> what was that girl what what, 30, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's like no, i'm I, i'm 32 turning 33 in april i've learned i'm still learning it ain't over i'm learning it's a process to fully Accept myself for who I am. And yes, that is so cliche, but it is what it is. Very much real, girl. And I just hope that so many of us, especially, I mean, I can only speak for our generation who grew up how we have as Black people. I hope that so many others, especially, you know, the men who shared their testimonies with us, get on this road of, fuck everybody else. Mm-hmm. What's good with you? Mm-hmm. This is my story. Nobody else's. Nobody else's. Fuck everyone else's opinion. Honestly. And I think, I just think that we as a community will just be in such a better place and we'd learn how to interact with each other in more healthy manners instead of through these really toxic ways and ideas. A better place mentally, physically and spiritually. I think, you know, once, once, once we do that inner work, that healing, you know, to, I'm still, I just expressed I'm still very much on that path of fully loving myself. And I'm talking about just the physical sense here. It's a journey. We're all in different stages. But I feel, you know, once, once we do that work, that inward work, and it's tough, like you said, Cam, you can only flourish from there.
I'm going to finish with a spoken word piece I've written called This Body. This body floats. Waiting. Waiting whilst you crossed oceans, doing your absolute best to finish this conquest. Head above water, stroke after stroke, you breathe life into me. This body sings. Our thighs kiss one another triumphantly like hand to tambourine. Meanwhile, a chorus of lust, temptation and regret covers our lips and it tastes bittersweet. This body climbs. You'll offer snowstorm, blizzard, flurry and despite these red flags, I'll still be waiting. Spread eagle, sending you smoke signals upon entry. Sir, this pussy will cross mountains for you. The arches in my feet fold back to the dimples on my back. Creases that lay beside my eyes, constantly watching as you unwrap century-old secrets and tales from a past time we barely understand. Astonished, you start to cry. I stare blankly as tears escape your face. Tiny little diamonds offer themselves and scatter onto my chest. Thousands of forgotten heirlooms reveal themselves. Generations of blood spilled offer their apologies. But in an instant they trickle off and soak into the cotton beneath me. Sir, you can keep your little gems. This body belongs to me. Snaps, snaps, snaps to you, Mr. B, for that beautiful spoken word piece of poetry. I can't wait to hear more pieces from you. And I'm sure our lovely audiences are like, mm, 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 mm. We owe our gratitude to the gentlemen who offered their testimonies and thoughts towards this topic, which was a deep one, but it's a necessary one. And again, we're just so grateful to have another layer added to this conversation i'm sure we'll bring it up again i'm going to speak your names again all the love to ralph don jason taj rowan mufseen and jamie thank you so much for sharing part of yourselves with us to everyone that has tuned in to listen to us thank you we hope that we've said something that can inspire you or that have taught you something brand, brand new. We love to keep these types of conversations going, especially surrounding the experiences and issues of being black and brown and LGBTQ plus in today's age. So if there are any questions or topics that you'd like to have addressed or if there are any personal stories you'd like to share, shoot us an email. Our email address is contact at two scoops podcast.com again that is contact at two scoops podcast.com and we'll do our very best to fit it into some episodes where we see fit yes and these can be from the funniest to the most challenging of experiences send in your questions topics stories whatever you want to share send them in we have some really great guests coming for you guys so please stay tuned log into our social media to see what's in store Follow us on Instagram at Two Scoops Podcast and on Twitter at Two Scoops underscore pod. Don't forget to subscribe, share the love, leave a review and tell a friend or few. I'm Mr. B. And I'm Cam. See you next time for another episode of Two Scoops. Two Scoops. Two Scoops.